Hello and welcome back to Fearless Questions, where we follow our questions to freedom. I'm your host, Jeff Blackburn, and today we have a my first away match, a road trip to the uh, to the studio of Mike and Kristen Berry of uh, Confessions of an Adoptive Parent. Mike, Kristen, how are you guys doing today? Doing we're great. We're doing good. I love how you say studio. Well, it, it is it, the first road studio I've been a part of. So. <laughs> I know. It's our welcome. dining room. It's our <laughs> dining room. That's our studio. But you that's have great. fancy equipment set up. There's an electronics <laughs> board thing. and that's, It's true. Yeah. There's cables and cords and it sounds fancy to me. It, so. Yeah. I, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, <clears throat> as we jump in today, this is my first time interviewing two people at one time. So... Surf yeah, with milestones, me. man. Yes, Love it's it. a big, you know, <laughs> check that box. Um, you guys started as we get in. You guys are in the world of adoptive, not only adoptive but fostering children mm-hmm. as well. And um, if besides me just trying to describe it to everybody, I wonder if if either of you would just kind of describe first of all, kind of what your backgrounds were, mm-hmm. and then what sort of led you into this world of fostering and adoptive parenting. Yeah, absolutely. You want me to go first? You want to go first? I'll, yeah, I'll kick it off. All right, sounds off. great. So uh, taking it all the way back to, and I'll let Kristen expound on this in a minute, but sure. all the way back into the late 90s when we first met and, and got together, um, interestingly enough, for as big of an advocate as I am for adoptive and foster adoption and foster care today, I was not that way in the beginning. I resisted pretty hardcore um, this, I can honestly say this, this whole journey started off as Kristen's idea and Kristen's heart and passion. And it wasn't that I was against it. It's that I just didn't understand it. Okay. Um, and that's, and, and the reason I didn't understand it is because I didn't, I didn't grow up in a family that adopted any of any children or fostered at all. And Kristen did. She, she grew up with, um, foster care as an, as a theme in her family. And then eventually her, her youngest brother, being adopted internationally, so so it really began with me not uh, not being uh, resisting it, I should say. But then my heart changing um, not very long after that. Um, and I guess if this makes sense, I'll jump forward um, to several years into what we do now. Is that, is that sure? Fair? I didn't. Was there was there an adoption like on the dockets? Like you were ready to adopt or foster someone, and you were asking him to, or you're saying just, you guys have been kicking around the idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably good to have her fill in some of those blanks. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) In the beginning, um, I brought it up while we were still dating and for me, it just made perfect sense. My grandma was adopted by a relative. Um, my grandpa grew up in the foster care system. Um, my youngest brother was adopted internationally. My aunt placed a baby for adoption when she was in college. And so, uh, we just had that kind of as a part of our culture as a family and our understanding growing up. And so, um, I it wasn't grew up, a strange thing to you. Like no, you not just, at all. Yeah. Um, and I heard the hard stories that came along with those things and what it was like for my grandma to lose her parents or what it was like for my grandpa, um, to be in one abusive foster home after another. Um, and then even for my brother, uh, who didn't talk a lot about, talk at all about where he had come from, uh, just knowing a little bit of what my parents shared, uh, he was adopted from Bulgaria. And so uh, they went to bring him home and they didn't share a ton of stuff. I think they were a little shell-shocked by what they had seen also. Um, but we saw some pictures and began to understand uh, a little bit about what his life was like. Um, and so that not only was it just a part of our culture as a family, it was also something that really captured my heart. I I kept always thinking, um, you know, what if, what if somebody like me would have been around when my grandpa was in foster care, I I wouldn't have done those bad things to him. Or, um, you know, what if we would have known about my brother when he was two rather than eight and saved, you know, six years worth of, um, neglect and gosh, everything that he went through. Um, so those kind of themes were always in my mind. And, um, so I brought that up while we were dating and I was actually really surprised because I I guess everybody thought like me, I thought like, (laughs) 
So who is this Listening insensitive guy I'm dating? Right. Like, <laughs> has no heart. I married him anyway. What she's trying to say is nobody <laughs> so, ever told me no. That's, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. People don't typically tell me no. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, That's awesome. not true either. Um, no, but I brought it up and I thought he would just feel this same level of passion toward this. And he just looked sure. at me like I had you know, my face on backwards. He yeah. was like, right. Oh, that is something some people do. Yeah. Um, and so we actually, we tabled that conversation. We were really young when we got married. Um, and then that was sort of a, a theme in our relationship that we'd keep coming back up and keep coming back up. And, yeah. um, and then, um, even in youth ministry, we were always the house, uh, we were in youth ministry for almost 20 years. We were always the house that some somebody's kid was sleeping on our couch. Somebody's kid was in the guest bedroom. <laughs> so and, true. And I yeah. guess it really just wasn't a far leap to adoption and foster care. And yeah. by the time his heart really changed, um, we went to an adoption meeting. Yeah. How far into the marriage are you guys when that? Less yeah. than three years. Okay. Yeah, it was two. Uh, well, and I'm the, uh, she'll tell you that I'm the one that remembers like dates. Okay. Like it was like, it's the, you know, present time, but that would have been in January of 2002 okay. when we when we went to that meeting. So it, so we we got married in July 1999. Okay. So it was actually uh yeah, it was two and a half years. Okay. into our marriage. And so. our daughter was born in April 2002. A couple weeks later. <laughs> so well, a we, couple weeks after you guys made literally the decision. we went to the yeah, first meeting. Well, a we, couple of months, but it was kind of a. It was she we was born. We decided to go with that agency. Yeah. Uh, started filling out the paperwork. Uh, end of February, and she was born in April. Yeah, How about that. So. And and I, you know, uh, back to you know what what we talked about a minute ago of me resisting and mm-hmm. and us seeing different. It was that I didn't understand adoption. Number one, but number two. I was the kind of person that, you know, had this idea in my mind of how life would go. It's always interesting when I hear about, you know, you always hear how little girls dress up in their mom's wedding gowns or they, they, they dream about their wedding day and they dream about their, the, the house they're going to live in. Whereas boys are, are, are only thinking about sports and things like that. I can honestly say I thought about sports, but I also thought about things like that. Okay. Not necessarily the wedding day, but just how life would go in general, how parenting would go. Um, I just had this ideal picture in my mind and what, you know, part of the thing too, part of, and this is a reality for life for lots of people, you know, oftentimes we, we miss out on the life that's waiting for us because we're so drilled down on the life we plan or we expect. And that was also part of my resistance too. And I did that a lot with a lot of things in our early days, you know, and it was just because I had this idea in my mind and I did not want to steer away from it. Yeah. That's how I wanted it to go. You had that insurance yeah. commercial view of life. Right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. The nice pictures. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. To, from starting to end. And <laughs> That's exactly what it is. But uh, I think, you know, we've always, we've both been people of faith since we were teenagers. And, um, so that's where we see the way that God orchestrated our family in a way that yeah. even though I was open to adoption, we were not going to have kids all 13 months apart. But here we are. We now have eight children. Our three middle ones are all 13 months apart. Our three little ones are 14 and 11 months apart. We would never have done that to ourselves on purpose. (laughs) But um, we have two grown children. And you have Um, a a grandson. We have a grandson and a granddaughter. And a granddaughter, yeah. You know, and and that's the way that when we look back at, and we joke a lot about thinking back to those early days when – the conversation was so tense, but this is how I want to start our family, but this is how I want to start our family. Yeah. And then we look at it. Uh, we've been married 18 years. We look back on the last 18 years and we could not imagine different children yeah. and, and now different grandchildren or even not having grandchildren. Yeah. We're so you guys I'm not are, even 40 yet. <laughs> so you, guys, you guys are not only coloring outside of the lines. Like you, at some point, you put the coloring book away, and you're just coloring on the walls now? Is oh, that totally. Oh, that's a great way to put it. There's more. <laughs> you, that that, is, that is applicable it. in more ways than you can imagine. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. So you were per, basically a professional religious person. Yes, I am. Oh, that's a good way to say that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was, okay. I was a paid Christian. Oh yeah, well, I'm a former <laughs> professional religious person. Myself. Professional religious person. I like that better than paid Christian. Yeah, you know? paid Christian is not as yeah. exciting. Um, so, what were the? I mean, you here you adopt. Was that well mm-hmm. received? Like in the circles you were working in? And yes and no. I would say I wouldn't say 
Well, I shouldn't say yes and no. I would say yes and sort of. Um, because when when we did this in 2002, we live and we're sitting smack dab in the middle of white suburbia. Yeah. Um, and back then, where we're at here, uh, north of Indianapolis and in central Indiana, there wasn't much diversity in there, not only in this culture and this community, but also in the church that we were working in. Okay. Um, and it was just a, it's a wealthy upper class suburban church. That's okay. what, that, that's the church I was working in at the time. I think so I saw a picket fence somewhere along the way. Oh, when I was yes. coming in. There is. Yeah. But it's the trendy picket fence. <laughs> okay. It's not like, not like vintage. So, okay. um, but anyways, so it was kind of like, a you know, I guess when I say sort of, it was kind of like a, oh, yeah, I guess you guys could do that for parenting. You know, it was just people didn't know what to say to us. They were kind of like, oh, oh, because adoption just wasn't a theme in our church. There was like one family, but that family had adopted from China. And international adoption was kind of the thing. Well, so, and I know, think they were older than us and they had a little bit thicker skin than okay. we did too. They, yeah. they went into it um, with a lot more maturity than we did. So, um, my feelings yeah. were hurt worse than I think our friends' feelings were hurt. But at the same time, you know, did the church receive us well? Um, our daughter had a baby shower to end all baby showers. Yeah. Yeah. She had every supply yeah. you could ever think of. Uh, we didn't, we didn't set up our house thinking that the adoption could fall through. We barely told anyone um, she was born on a Saturday while we were on our way to a youth conference. And so we borrowed somebody's minivan, drove straight to the hospital. She was born and we basically had to tell everybody at that moment, yeah. Hey guys, we're adopting today. And yeah, so it's happening now. Um, yeah. our youth ministry team absolutely showed us the love of Christ in that. They did. We, yeah. We I'm glad home. you said that. Oh gosh. When I think back to that, we came home and there was a, Lifetime supply of Mountain Dew and coffee. <laughs> yeah. um, they brought meals over, so oh, it wasn't... You know, a, a, there was a crib already set up and diapers, yeah. and then they threw us a baby shower. and nice. put a, It had a big welcome yeah. banner over the youth it was, room it was for my very first day back that said, cool. Welcome home, Jayla. Very cool. So yeah, we, we did receive a lot of support from the church. I would say the sort of part comes in when, um, uh, particularly later when we started fostering. Right. And our children were not this perfect, ideal um, image of what the rest of our peers were raising at that point. Um, And so for us, uh, going into the church and bringing a child who was dealing with severe trauma, nobody around us understood that. We didn't understand that at the time. Um, Or the thought that... uh, gosh, this child is, uh, they must feel so safe now because the berries are nice people, you know? <laughs> yeah. And really, our children didn't feel safe. Of course they didn't. And when you think back to being three years old, our first two foster placements, they were three and, and one. Uh, did you want to be taken away from your mom and yeah. then put in a foster home and then put in another foster home and then drug yeah. around to visits? Of course not. And so that's where I think the church backed off from us a little bit, just okay. not understanding we didn't fit anywhere. So they had a little yeah. bit of a box for that they could fit you guys into. Okay, mm-hmm. loving people, want to adopt somebody. Yep. But as soon as you start getting involved in foster care and it just got a little bit messier. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this might be a good place to kind of, um, we'll have to fill in a few gaps here, but maybe we move, you know, Kristen just recently, you released a new book for you, Born Broken, An Adoptive Journey, where you talk about a, a number of the adoptions um, with a, a good amount of time spent with, with um, Alexander. But um, before we get there, we everybody heard you adopted your first kid, mm-hmm. and then there's fostering going on. Just Could you guys just give us the flyby of kind of that time frame, um, how many kids, like sort of the order of adoptions and yeah. fostering, because yeah. for some people you're like, you have eight kids, like, wait, how many foster kids? Like, and then they it? find yeah. out that, that we have only been parents for 16 years yeah. and two of them are in their, one of them's in their mid twenties and early thirties. People are like, what How did right. that happen? And yeah. this could take hours, but just, you know, I mean, just, just a, quick. just kind yeah, of a fly I'll let, by. I'll, pit, I'll let Kristen do that because she's really good at, at keeping it like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. So we have two private adoptions six adoptions out of foster care 
Um, we fostered 23 children and six of those stayed forever. Um, our oldest daughter actually came to live with us when she was 15 off and on. Um, that became a private adoption in her twenties. Um, when she consented to her own adoption, her Mm. parents had passed away. Um, and she just stuck around truthfully. If she hears (laughs) this, she'll laugh when I say that it's true. She just, uh, she was about 15 and she started staying on the couch and then in the guest room and then her friends would start to come over and have a Harry Potter marathon and (laughs) and then we adopted Jayla and she was just this uh, natural big sister um, to our first daughter and then man she was right there with me when we went to pick up um, our foster children our first foster children and so um, that's our first daughter our second oldest daughter came to live with us when she was 15 of course, we had a private adoption. Two foster children ended up staying, and then uh, we actually thought we were done fostering, and um, we had a miscommunication. Is this a, the one in the book that I read about? Where, probably. Where there was <laughs> so, where, Mike, where Mike came home, and there was a there's a baby actually, there. There was another baby. Yeah, actually, I was at I was at my son's hockey practice, and Kristen called me. Okay. And she said, "Guess where I'm going right now?" And I and I said, "I don't know." And she goes, "I'm with Megan, her good friend, yeah. our good friend Megan." We're driving downtown, and I'm I'm going to pick up a baby. <laughs> and my response was, "A human baby." That, that was my response. That was my question. Uh, yeah. So and you had already spoken to the agency; they'd already called. And you, yeah. You it was said, yes, it was right? a, it was DCS. Shoot. Was like yeah. When, when they call you, you know, you answer the phone, and they say, "Hey, uh, you know," and they just call down through a list, really, and and there aren't enough foster families. And so when you're fostering, you pick up your phone any time of the day, and they'll say, uh, "You know, can you pick up this newborn baby?" and uh, just for the weekend. And so I thought, well, shoot, I could watch a baby for the weekend. So I went and got the baby and, and that became our youngest son. He's eight years old now. Um, and that's why any, we always say this with foster parents, anytime it, it's, we call it foster care math. Yeah. It, whatever you're told, add four years to it. Absolutely. That's, that's the mathematical <laughs> equation. Absolutely. So he you're was, told a weekend, um, it's going to be probably eight, well, it's going to be eight years like us. At least. Be, it could be, it could uh, he be was forever. adopted three and a half years after that. Um, okay. and then we were asked, um, by a caseworker, she said, boy, we had these two boys come in, they're available for adoption. We thought about you, would you be interested in interviewing? And, and so this is, we thought we had closed out this chapter of our lives, mm. um, in terms of fostering. And we went to the interview, we were chosen by the grandparents to adopt these two little boys. And so mm. that brought us up to eight. Wow. And so, I mean, just for people that have not been through this, I mean, you talked about having like 23, I think you said like mm-hmm. different foster kids had come through. What is that? How do you even make that? Is the decision up to you sometimes whether or not they stay or is it, or is it um, more they tell you how long someone's going to stay? I mean, I'm just uh, completely unfamiliar with the process. Both and I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we yeah. did have one placement. Um, she ended up being adopted by our neighbors. So, you know, sometimes you can speak into that and say, I mean, at the time we were full up to our ears in babies at this house and our neighbors were hoping to adopt. And so, um, we had this little girl and it was this natural transition to here's a loving family with no babies. (laughs) We have (laughs) so many babies. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, sometimes there are times when you can speak into it and say, yeah man, this is a precious baby, but I want to give her everything that she needs. And I know I can't. Um, And so we see her all the time. She's literally in our kitchen Uh baking cookies with our kids all the time. So, you know, sometimes you can. It it really depends on, I I think, how you you have set up your, I don't know what they would call it, a profile or your, your case or your... Like have twenty kids with still it. looking. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, like there there are some people that will say, "I want to, I want you to foster say, to adopt," yeah. and and they will put you in a program where they they will place kids in your home who either are legally available for adoption mm-hmm. or there's no there's there's no possibility or slim to no poss- none none slim to none possibility that they're going to go back to their birth families. So, but here's the one thing we always say, and this is an important thing when it comes to foster parenting, especially for anybody listening who's thinking about foster care. Remember that the goal of foster care is reunification. 
Always. It always always should be that way. Now, there are circumstances where it be, our, we're living proof of this yes. because six out of our eight adoption or our, yeah, six out of our eight children were foster, were in foster care and ended up moving to permanency with us. Okay. We didn't plan for that initially. Right. It, all, two of them we did, but the rest we didn't. So it, it can go that way, but we just always want to caution people who are getting into this journey. Don't go in with the mindset of I'm going to get, this is how I'm going to build my family. Because you could be setting yourself up for some big disappointment. Mm-hmm. However, there are scenarios that happen all the time where it does create permanency. And and we do veer off and say that as often as we possibly can because um, some of our greatest stories and, and some of our um, greatest joys in life have been seeing children reunified with a healthier yeah. family. Mm-hmm. So um, cool. that we're not sorry that we had any of those experiences and we're thankful for the six that stayed. Um, but it's important to know that when, whenever a child is adopted, uh, privately or through foster care, uh, they've lost something. Yeah. And so yeah. it yeah. isn't, it's a joy. Um, yeah. and we're so, you know, I can't imagine our life yeah. without them, but all eight of our children have lost right. the most important thing. Their first set of parents. Yeah. 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 yeah, and, and I, just because I know there's a lot of other sides to what you guys do now that I, I want to be able to get to, let's just jump towards your book if we can. Yeah, um, sure. And Mike, I know you've got a book coming out in the future too, but for I now, do. you have to wait. Yeah. For now, right now, we're going to talk about Christmas. <laughs> hey, I, I, it, is, it is available for pre-order, so is it? I could okay, tell you a little we'll, bit we'll about it. We'll put that in the show notes, and Michael, tell us can about I that in a second. please talk about my book yes, too? after your wife. Um, this, is, this is, first of all, I, I hope people, if they haven't read it yet, they will. Um this is really a very touching story, a very personal. It's almost like a, reading someone's journal, which is, so you feel a little bit almost like uncomfortable every once in a while. I'm like, is she allowed to say these things? But then you're so grateful because you feel like you're really being transported into the the scenes, which is why when you guys talked about a last second call, I'm like, oh, I remember that scene. That was, because right. I remember her talking about, <laughs> oh, I might not have asked Mike before I said yes. Um <laughs> But no, in this book, you, you spend, um, you talk about some of the realities, um, that you guys have faced. Um, there is, you were talking about a sense of a loss for some of the kids. Mm-hmm. There's, they've all experienced pain and loss of some sort. Um, and some of your kids more than others. And this, this particular one, you talk a lot about, um, the, the effects of fetal alcohol syndrome. Right. And, and the reason I sort of want to turn towards this is because you guys talked about working in a church and ministry. And so you begin raising um, a foster kid. I don't know if he's adopted at that point or not, but um, bringing them into these like Christian communities. And I heard you in the book talking about like, you know, here we were supposed to be belonging, but you actually didn't even necessarily feel safe or understood even in a community where you felt like you should have. Right. Is that a fair? So I don't know if that's a good jumping in point to talking about that a little bit or just sort of what your experiences were. Um, with this whole fetal alcohol syndrome and the realities of everyday life with it? Yeah, I I would say, um, I guess one, it's important to note that around 40,000 babies are born every single year exposed to drugs and alcohol. Um, Alcohol is the worst, and it leaves lasting brain damage. It cannot be cured. Um, You don't recover from this. You you will, if you've been exposed to alcohol, have to learn uh, other ways of doing things, but that part of your brain does not ever heal. And so, um, you know, in the church community, of course, we are coming at it from a perspective of leadership. Um, so we've always been working in the church. We're always on display. Our children are always on display. And so, um, probably the biggest struggle was with, uh, our son that we brought home, um, he was 11 months when he came to live with us and uh, screamed constantly. He screamed for a year, and that's it. Um, he would stand up straight and fall on his head. Um, and so we didn't know what to do with that, much less how to explain to someone else. Um, I originally started out writing the book because I wanted to tell about FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So it's a spectrum of disorders, and that can be anywhere from fetal alcohol syndrome to alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder. Um, 
to fetal alcohol effects. The titles are changing all the time. It's a spectrum. And so sure. we have, um, of our eight children, five have been exposed to alcohol. We have everything from what looks like some minor learning disabilities to dismaturity to um, raging, aggression, um, mm. zero um, impulsivity, control. Um, so we have kind of a range of things. Um, and so when I wrote the book, I wanted it to be about FASD. But the the more that I wrote, the more we realized um, a lot of what our kids were struggling with, too, was also trauma. Yeah. And so this child that was screaming nonstop um, had been exposed to drugs and alcohol. He also had lost his first family and his second family and his third family. And, mm. you know, and then yeah. at 11 months old is supposed to just come into my home and be my son. Mm. Um, as we entered the church, uh, I really needed a break at that point. Mike was working all the time. I just wanted to go to church and, and sit in church for a while and, yeah. and maybe just make a friend or something. Um, and that was where we really faced this uh, challenge to what the church is and how the church represents itself. Um, because we walked in with this child and we desperately needed help and we were told, uh, you know, we don't have the capacity for your son in the nursery right now. You're not going to be able to bring him. Um, I sat in the, the church had a family bathroom. I sat in the family bathroom and cried Sunday after Sunday with this kid just screaming. And, um, and so those, I think, in our faith journey, uh, those times in, in raising some children from some difficult backgrounds, those are the times where we started to ask ourselves, what is the body of Christ supposed to look like? Um, and are we feeling that we're part of the body as we walk into the church building? Yeah. And I was, this isn't to bash on them at all. I was just, no. I just know that you wrote about, you know, there's a sense of you, people often think of like church going people as church is a place of where it's safe and you're always going to feel accepted. And, but I just thought it was really fascinating that people that were even connected in leadership to a church could walk in and still feel, um, maybe not as safe or welcome or sure. you, even sometimes you talked about judgment from other people. Like, um, I don't know how it's been for you guys. Like when you have kids that have gone through this kind of trauma, their behavior is outside of the like cultural norms, you know? Yes. And then what is that like as a parent? Um, what's that dynamic like for you as a, as a parent when you're trying to get along with normal society stuff, hmm. taking them to school, yeah. um, all the yeah. rest. It, it's in short, it's tough. Uh, it's very tough because you you feel like, especially in a culture, and I don't I don't want to keep hammering on you know suburbia, which is where we live, because we choose to live here. I mean, we yeah. we like it; it's a great place to raise a family. It's safe, so on and so forth. But it's tough because you are you are constantly surrounded by normalcy. I mean, everybody's dysfunctional to some degree, and right. you never know what goes on behind closed doors, and that's the reality that we we understand here. But you know, you're, you're surrounded all the time by a sense of normalcy. This is the normal, this, these are normal things that, that families do. This is normal. Our, we see kids doing normal behaviors, so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden you're, you have a child who has done things or said things that are odd, you mm -hmm. know? So you, you know, you're, you're faced with this constant, this, I would call it tension. You're faced with this tension of, you know, loving your child, leading your child, uh, making sure that they're safe mm -hmm. and also having to do things as a parent that other parents don't have to do, yeah. you know? So an example would be, uh, with one of our sons who has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, there is a strict bedtime. There's a strict structure that we follow when he's at home with us. It has to be that way. And parents who have children who have FASDs or autism or attachment issues understand this concept. Mm -hmm. You are structured all the time. So we may be out in a park with friends who don't have children who suffer from this disorder, and we look at the clock, and it's 7 p.m., and it's like, it's time to go. Yeah. And you, you shut it down. I can't tell you how many things we've had to do where it's like all of a sudden we look at the clock, and we're like, 7 p.m., it's one hour till bedtime, and we just, we evac, we scoop everybody up and people are kind of like, uh, yeah, you can't what? stay five more minutes. Yeah. No, no we, we cannot yeah. so. because if we do that and we, we, we modify our routine yeah. and we break the structure, 
we may pay for it for another two days yeah. because their brains just can't function outside of structure. Anything that's chaotic or loosey-goosey yeah. causes meltdowns. And so, so what I'm saying with that is that it's, it's tough because you're, you're living in this tension and it's also tough because it's, you, have to, you have to accept your new normal. So you've abandoned what you what what the world would consider normal, mm-hmm. and you accept your new normal, and you have to live within that. And also, you have to live with this understanding that there this is going to bring there is hope in this. It's just really really hard to see. I'm interested yeah. by that thing you, you guys are both talking about, where you're accepting your new normal. Mm-hmm. Is that a um, because that principle seems like it would transfer through all kinds of people's lives? Like oh yeah, circumstances oh, yes. or something where. You know, you talk about being in a park and you don't have time really to explain to these people the cost benefit decision you're making yes. right there. So when you say you just have to decide to accept your new normal, how long a process did that was that for you guys? Are you still doing it? Yes. <laughs> yes well, and no. And, and there's a lot that um, over time we wanted our children to behave in a certain way and to function in a certain way. And so, um, yes, we've accepted it. Life is different. We're okay with that. Um, We love the kids we have. But there are still new things that pop up. Your children age and different things happen at school. So is my child going to go on the third grade sleepover? Uh, I don't know. Let me think about that. So, you know, we always have to take it back to that. And and I would say kind of circling back around then to um, being accepted into a community, there are people who have accepted our children and our family just exactly the way we are without putting any expectation on that. And and that has happened even within the church. Um, We had one lady after my son was told not to be in the nursery at one church. um, I started attending another church uh, at a separate time and just looking for a different community and and Mm. not to be on display and not to be the pastor's wife for a while. And we went into that church and there was a lady in the nursery who without having to be told anything, she just said, oh, oh, okay, let me see if I can try. And I'm like, you're not going to be able to try. This kid has screamed (laughs) for a year. And uh, she had no expectation on him. He was about, what would you say, one and a half at that point, not quite two. And he, yeah, um, that's about right. It was 2010. I, I was blown away instead of wanting him to come in the nursery and abide by some structure that she already had in place for him. Yeah. She spent the entire hour showing him an oscillating fan Wow! and that's it. She, but she had no idea of how it should go. She accepted him exactly where he was. And, um, then for us as a family, that helped us to accept him exactly where he was also. I remember looking at her and thinking, oh my gosh, it's okay yeah. that he's different from other kids. It's it's really okay. The thing that, that this child loves more than anything is looking at the fan, yeah. you know, or an air conditioner <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And um, he loved those things. But she was willing to just see who he was as a person. Yeah. Um, and that built us up as a family more than anything and helped us to walk away and say, it's going to be all right. It's okay that this kid is not. Yeah. And that wasn't the norm for you guys, right? Because I read in the book and then for you guys share the stories like where you're getting judgment from people all the time, right? Oh, oh yeah. Must be oh, bad. Constantly. Must be bad. Oh parents. yeah. Must be bad. We'll yeah. just put him in the nursery. We'll just set him down. Um, just spank him. Oh, just, <laughs> Discipline well, maybe them. you should try a timeout. Um, yeah. which anybody you know, of course, we're going, listening would laugh you have at that. No right idea. Yeah. Yeah. All the things that we have tried with this child. Um, you haven't ever punched anybody, have you? Uh, no, but we've <laughs> I mean, punched him in our mind. Cussed at him. In, well, no, I would say cussed him in our mind, but we've actually cussed at him too. So Have you? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't. We, we love Jesus, but we cuss a lot. Oh, we don't God. cuss a little. We cuss a lot. Cuss a little. No, we don't. Okay. Okay. So another, let's, let's move let's on. Let's move back on. Yeah. To the, yeah. The point. We are fearless about that. <laughs> well, like I think one of the things I hope people, I mean, most people would not know about you. They might if you read your book, but one of the coolest, uh, Kristen tells a story in the book about um, just one of the really hard things about having to take your son into school, and he was lying about taking some things, I think, and 
you're like dragging him in. He has to tell about it. And you have another baby with you alongside who's, you know, messed up the diaper. And so you got this stink coming with you and just yeah. all the, like anybody who's had little kids before. And then even this additional trauma stuff you're dealing with. Right. And then you go from that story straight into going straight back to the child services that same week. And you guys going in to have a big conversation about maybe another kid and, you slam the door into Mike. Mike's got coffee all over him. Oh, you guys, yeah. And now you guys are crawling around the floor together laughing while everybody else is like, and I'm just like, wow, these are, these are my friends now. These are my people. <laughs> yeah, these but are. This, you guys are living like you're laughing while everybody else is trying to figure out what's, what's, yeah, what it's, is happening. It's funny that you always, Kristen, that you always tell that story about us crawling around the floor la- or laughing at that. Cause I remember feeling really pissed that all my coffee was spilled. Oh, I was, I was really like, disappointed oh my gosh, about the I just lost all my coffee. <laughs> was it like Starbucks or was it? No, it was Panera. It was Panera. Oh, okay. But it yeah. was expensive coffee. Oh yeah, it, it was yeah. good and it was good coffee. And we were on yeah, a date. Yeah, we had tithed to the man that day. We were on a date to the Department yeah, we were of Child Services, but still nonetheless. Less a date, you know, and it's the little thing. Bring a candle with you. No, (laughs) it's interesting that that you brought that up though, because you had asked the question: Do you still have to accept your normal? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, but I think that that's what's gotten us this far. I think that's why we're still married eighteen years later. Life has thrown us a lot of curveballs, including the spilled coffee. But when I think about the spilled coffee. That's just kind of how it is in our family. We we stop and we look and we say, "Oh, this is what we're doing right now." You yeah. know, we didn't we didn't expect this. Um, you know, wow, we're thirty. What was I when Layla was born? I, I'm a thirty six year old grandma. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what we're doing now. So I would <laughs> yeah. say every day is kind of waking up and saying, "Alrighty then, this is this is who we are. This yeah. is the new normal." Yeah, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, and maybe this will take us take us towards what you guys do now with your organization. Mm-hmm. But you tell one story um, when you'd gone to a specialist. I think when it was around um, uh, identifying fetal alcohol mm-hmm. um, syndrome. What was the word again? The D. The fetal alcohol uh, spectrum spectrum disorder. disorder. Yeah, okay, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Um, but you talked about you had one child there with with the brother there, and there was all kinds of behavior, and they were just do, trying to do something yeah. simple like get the height and weight, and your son wouldn't let go of you. Yeah. <laughs> and you said, I just thought it was so powerful. You said some, the nurse stopped you. You said she placed her hand on your arm and she said, it's okay. We understand this happens all the time here. And then he started talking about crying. It was just like, um, and I just thought there was something powerful about that, that you described like this, when you're going through all this stuff in life to hear somebody say, I understand what you're dealing with right now. Yeah. That's yeah. so powerful. And, um, I wonder if you, you guys have this organization called Confessions of an Adoptive Parent, mm-hmm. and it felt like the theme behind what you do. I don't know if that's true or not, but it felt like a natural, like, wow, is this what you guys are about? Because I've heard yeah. you talk about yeah. retreats and all that. Yep. Um, yeah. What's been your guys' experience? Maybe with when you experienced that and maybe yeah. what you've tried to create with others. Yeah, incidentally, that was uh, around the same time as uh, that we went to that appointment our second youngest son was diagnosed with FASD. Um, in that same appointment, the doctor looked at our older son who was like standing on his head and hanging from the ceiling. And he yeah. said, have you had him diagnosed also? Um, it began to open some doors that uh, maybe there were some answers that we didn't know about. Um, and so for our first years of parenting, we just really, you know, we'd finally get the kids to sleep at night and look at each other and say, what are we doing wrong? And, yeah. um, why can't we seem to get a handle on this parenting thing? And, um, and that led to feeling very isolated just everywhere. You can't go, uh, ride your bike in the neighborhood. If you think your child, um, you know, if a child has severe impulsivity, just for instance, and says, whatever comes into their mind, that makes for awkward relationships in the community. Or if he has a low frustration tolerance, um, and you're trying to ride bikes in the neighborhood and he falls off his bike, throws it across the yard, uses a curse word in front of your neighbor's little precious angels. People don't really want to be your friend. And so, you know, over time we really closed off and the berries will corrupt you. Oh, my yeah. Gosh. oh yeah. That, we have had to have people that opinion's say, uh, probably been out there before. I love, I love that your son can do backflips off the swing set, but could you ask him not to do that in front of our children? You know? Yes, I can. Yes. Um, and he'll probably still do it anyway. So you might want to take your kids away from us. But, um, 
you know, th- that story happened around the same time that we started to look at each other and say, wait a second, are there other families like us? And is there a reason that our child was screaming for the first year of his life or banging his head on the floor or having zero uh, ability to control his impulsivity? Mm-hmm. Um, we started to see maybe something else is going on we didn't understand. And that led us to um, a story that you like to tell about yeah. being at the Children's Bureau. Yeah, yeah. So uh, between the years of 2008 and 2011, it, we had, it was, that was probably the roughest part of our journey um, in terms of being exhausted, in terms of um, you know, dealing, suddenly dealing with special needs that we knew not, we, we didn't really know that much about, you know, we still in that day now I can say we're trauma informed. So we get, we see the whole other perspective on why kids who have come from traumatic places do the things they do, say the things they do behave the way they behave. But back then we didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. So we thought that our, um, some of our children who had some of these extreme behaviors were just bad kids behaving badly, but that's not what they were. So because of that misunderstanding, we were very exhausted um, we felt very isolated at, at that time. We, we had some friends who were on the journey, on the adoptive and foster journey as well, but we still felt like, well, they're doing their thing. We're doing our thing. And, and it's just very lonely and very isolating. And then we got this invite to, um, a support group for, I'll just use the generic term support group. Um, and it was for post adoptive families, families who had already been through the adoption process, had adopted from the foster care system and, uh, through an organization in downtown Indianapolis called the Children's Bureau, okay. they were doing a whole post-adoptive network or post-adoptive ser- post-adoptive services. So they invited us to this support group, and both of us were kind of like, "I don't want to go to a support group," because yeah. frankly, and we kind of had a love-hate relationship with support groups back then because we'd already been to some through uh, an, an agency or because we were an adoptive family, and they were always they always seemed to turn out this the same way a person who wasn't a foster parent wasn't an adoptive parent had no idea what our life was day in and day out would come in and basically tell us how we're screwing up and how we're failing Mm -hmm. this is when your cussing started oh yeah Yeah. that's probably and and it was one of those deals where it's like you know what i don't need somebody to tell me that I suck at this because yeah, I already feel know. like I suck we at this. We see it every day. You know? <laughs> yeah, I already feel terrible about this and I already feel like a failure. So we both were kind of like, I don't want to go to this thing. Yeah. But they offered free childcare and, and free food. Free dinner. So it's like... So uh, you guys have your done. dates at children's services yeah. and support and the, groups. Absolutely. Yeah, and a support group. You take awesome. it where you can awesome. get it. Awesome. So we, we went. Cool. Why are the berries making out in the back? <laughs> yeah, begrudgingly. Oh, is this not date night? Oh, this is not date night. This is date Excuse night for us. us. <laughs> so, so we... Um, yeah, so we, we went. We And I remember checking our kids into that. To a, There's a gymnasium at the facility. Yeah. And they had these two like college girls who were in like they the social work program at IUPUI and I'm looking at these two girls like oh good luck yes if you're alive when we get (laughs) back if you are alive or not drinking heavily I'll be very (laughs) surprised so so we and and we went upstairs we sat at the around a big table kind of like no one could see this but a table kind of like we're sitting at now and what happened that night was was amazing um, because for the first time that night we sat around a table with other families who were in the, tr- the same trench that we were in. And this facilitator walked in the room that night and she just a- invited everybody around the table to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. And all these people, these couples, there were probably eight couples total, just started telling these, these tragic stories of, of you know, p- they're parenting a child who acts out in public or who um, has tried to sneak out and been in trouble with the police and has the same disorders that we, our children have. And, you know, how heartbreaking and difficult it is and how they've tried to love this daughter and this daughter keeps pushing them away. And the whole time we're listening to these stories and we're thinking, oh my gosh, that's us. That's us. And it gets to us and we tell our story. But the most amazing part about that night is as everybody shared what I like to say, shared their wounds, mm-hmm. every now and then I'd look over at the facilitator and I remember this as clear as we're sitting here right now. She wasn't judging. She wasn't instructing. She was just nodding. 
And every now and then she'd say, I know, I know, I know how hard that is. You are not alone. She said that repeatedly. And that night we walked out of there and I was like, what just happened? Mm. Like for the first time ever on this journey, we felt like we felt empowered and none of our problems had been solved. None of our issues had been solved. So the struggles, you know, we, I want to say this, we love, even through the dark days, we, we love our kids and and we often tell adoptive families, we're not questioning whether or not you love your kids, but we're going to be honest and tell you, we know how hard this is. We know how hard some of these behaviors that you're dealing with with your kids, how hard that is. And so we walked out of there tonight and we still dealt with the same issues. Our, Our son still acted out on the way home, but we felt like we could face the next day and we had this energy in us and we realized it was because we found, we discovered the healing power in camaraderie mm-hmm. in, in, in seeing other flesh and blood humans who have the same struggles, the same fears, the same love for their kids, but feel exhausted. And it helped, you know, when you find out you're not alone, mm-hmm. you find hope. Yeah. And so that led us, that led uh, about a year after that, a year and a half after that, we launched Confessions of an Adoptive Parent. It was, it originally started as a blog, which it still is today, but it was created to be that I know, where that facilitator was nodding and saying, I know. So it wasn't created to be a how-to, it was created to be an I know. Mm-hmm. It, it was the nod. But mm-hmm. I would say that having a group of people around us who were just willing to listen who are just nodding, um, understanding it actually opened us up to learn how to do it better. Um, and at that same support group, our older children were in their, their own support group. And so they were doing basically the same thing, you know, where they are learning about what it means to attach and what it means to bond and what it means to trust. And so, um, you know, in that, at the same time that we were sharing, we love this child so deeply but, but we don't know what to do. Our kids were basically going through the same thing. We love our parents. That's not a question. But I don't know how to stop stealing food out of the refrigerator at night yeah. because I used to be hungry. You know, yeah. it was opening some things up where once we were all heard, we were able to then say, okay, now that I can tell the truth yeah. about what's happening, yeah. I can learn to do this better. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, um, I know, I mean, you don't have to brag about all your stuff, but people that don't know you guys that you do have a pretty big following mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands, if not a million followers. <laughs> we do not have a million followers. <laughs> um, a million followers. Um, We've had a million re- a reach of a million at times. But your, but your, your message is getting out there and there's clearly a need for it. And, um, I've enjoyed, you guys run your own podcast as well. Yep. You're starting up a yep. new, you're kind of rebranding that honestly mm-hmm. speaking i think is what it's called moving forward isn't that right yeah, it's, it's currently it, it's going to be called the honestly adoption podcast gotcha. right now it's the honestly speaking parenting podcast okay, right. and they can people can um, learn all about that by visiting honestlyadoption.com okay all right um but this i mean i guess there's even people that have not even done the fostering adoptive journey just yep. even people that are interested in it i really encourage them to follow along with you guys because yeah it gives you like an honest view behind the curtain to what you're actually getting right. involved in. And at first it can be a little intimidating, but then actually you start to see, and you're like, Oh wait, when you know that this is doable yeah. and actually you get to get to see some of the, the depths of, of goodness that comes from it and the yeah. things that you guys get yeah. to be a part of as well. It's, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. Um, there's first of all, don't forget to read the book because, um, I mean, you talk guys talk about struggles. I'd never even heard about having to like hold on to your kid. Like, these like therapeutic, right? Um, what do you call it? Therapeutic, hold, like a therapeutic hold, which is basically yeah. like some sort of wrestling hold, I guess. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like a par- <laughs> MMA much. parenting. But it's safe, and you're not body <laughs> slamming them, which yeah. is and there good. Was, there was all kinds of issues of safety that, like, I just never even you know thought of that. That I think people will really find compelling, and you guys have been through it. But even though you guys have been through so many things like that, you've been through so many things with in circles of faith, in public things with other parents, with schools. Um, you know, one of the things we do is try and ask people, what are the questions you wish more people were asking? And so there's so many questions about what you guys do because so many people are uninformed, whether it be about fostering care, adoptive, the adoptive journey, or some of the the sicknesses or diseases Mm -hmm. that come along with alcohol and drugs. Um, wherever, wherever you guys want to go with this, like, what are the questions you wish more people were asking? I would say, you know, how can I... Uh, create an authentic community around 
foster and adoptive families. I, I wish more people were asking, um, how can I participate? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, I think I would follow that up by saying I, I wish people would um, would ask us the question or ask adoptive families the question, um, uh, help me understand why you, your family functions the way it, fam- it, it functions or why your children do the things they do and not asking in a judgmental way, but then asking and then listening and actually listening to the answer. Because I think a lot of times that question is asked, but there's not, there's not active listening after that, or there's really not, it's almost like throwing them a bone Hmm. where I wish it was just a question asked, like a genuine, help me understand you. Um, but not in a judgmental way. That makes sense. So, yeah. 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 Now it sounds like you guys have been, I don't know if you've been forced, but you seem like, um, experts in grace and, um, and, uh, we try, yeah. Creating space for other people, which maybe, maybe having to walk through it yourself has done that. But, um, yeah, I don't think some people understand the the need to like have a little humility and to to know that you may not know what others are going through. Well, um, why don't you, I know you've mentioned it once, but would you be willing to just kind of tell people the websites and like, if you want to mention, you got a book coming up too, not to be outdone by your wife. No, no, no. I've read your wife's book. It's amazing. Yeah, I know. I've got a lot to live up to. Okay. I do. So I'll, I'll give you the rundown of, of where you can find all of this. We actually have, I'm actually going to give you a several different, I wish I had one central location, but our blog is confessions of an adoptive parent.com. Our podcast is honestly adoption.com. If you want to look into Kristen's book, Born Broken, you can go to bornbrokenbook.com. And then I have a book coming out this February, same title as our blog. I have a, I had a publisher approach me and say, would you write a book yeah. called Confessions of an Adoptive Parent? And if you go to that that same uh, address, uh, confessionsofanadoptiveparent.com, and then just put forward slash book, you can find my book. Okay. Or it's, it's available for pre-order okay. right now. It's not out yet. So, so that's where you can find all of us, all, everything we do. And then the people who are out there that maybe they've already they've already been they have an adoption they've already been a part of or they're fostering kids. Um, you guys do retreats and stuff too, or do you just speak at retreats? What's the we yeah, speak at retreats? We speak at retreats, conferences, um, support groups, you name it. Okay, so you're not running your own retreat. No. You're just no. Nope. You're just the speakers. They yeah. come in to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I said no too fast. <laughs> no, I like, no, 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 I do not do that. No, we don't do that. <laughs> don't don't. Maybe do after that. all your kids, you are would out of the hate house. my yeah. retreat. Yeah, <laughs> here's a retreat. Go make dinner. Campfire, yeah, campfire, <laughs> and fend be. for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, put a weapon in all the kids' hands. Exactly. That, that idea. Yeah. Uh, well, you guys, it's been a treat to be able to be not only yeah. in your studio here, but um, <laughs> just to let you guys be able to hear you guys share a little bit of your life with us and. Uh, yeah, it's just been it's been good. It's good to get to know you guys. Yeah. And hope others jump on board, read the books, Born Broken, follow the pod, the uh, the blog and the podcast. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll hear from you soon. Maybe when your book comes out, we'll, we'll do this again. Sounds great. That okay. sounds great. All right, Thank see you guys. You.